The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So, we'll dive into that passage from Luke today, and not your typical Christmas passage filled with anxiety, anguish, drunkenness, closing in like a trap. It's a Christmas passage, not unlike Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Perhaps not obvious, but certainly something we can debate about. And I hope by the end, I can convince you that this is an appropriate passage for this Christmas time. And we can talk about Die Hard a bit later. For this passage from Luke, And in fact, the whole leading up section, if you're looking in your Bibles, you would see that the subheading is the destruction of the temple and the signs of the end times. It's certainly grim in comparison to our usual festivities at this time. I mean, look at the beautiful display that has been set up for us with candles and wreaths and a sparkling Christmas tree. It certainly doesn't feel like the end times in here, and I'm sure your homes are beginning to take a Christmas festive feel. But there is a similarity between this Christmas, this Advent time, and this passage that we have read in Luke. For as we've talked about Advent, it's the arrival of someone, an important person, someone of note. In this season, this season of waiting that is Advent, we anticipate that arrival of this important person. And so as we gather together in Christmas time and over the next few weeks into December, it is about remembering the first waiting, that first time Christ made his appearance, the first time this important person came to earth. We remember and we reflect. And our passage this morning takes up this stance of waiting. And it appears at a critical point in Jesus' ministry, By the time we arrive at this discourse, Christ has entered into Jerusalem, that triumphant entry that we celebrate on Palm Sunday in a few months. Hosanna, save us, the people called out. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus has been celebrated as a savior. This expectation of deliverance filled the streets of Jerusalem, deliverance from their Roman occupiers. They anticipated the restoration of David's kingdom. The borders of Israel would be restored. They would be protected against invading armies. They would be their own people again, and God would be the only God in the land. And so the people thought that their waiting for the advent of the Messiah was over when Jesus entered. Their suffering was over. The Messiah has come. The kingdom will be restored. And you can imagine the disciples, they got caught up in this fervor, entering the city, people shouting these acclamations. And as Jesus walked about teaching and healing in the city, they walk by the temple. This amazing structure that took over 30 years to build. And they marvel at it. Look at these stones, they say. They are impressed. It would not be unlike walking by the CN Tower, the Arc de Triomphe the Taj Mahal, any of our architectural wonders of the day, and saying, wow, that is phenomenal. This will stand forever. 
and people will protect it so that it will. But Jesus takes this marveling, and this is when he begins to open up into this discussion of what is to come. In the first section, he predicts the fall of Jerusalem, not 40 years later in 70 CE, when the Jews rebelled against Rome and Titus marched his legions throughout the land, burning everything, destroying the temple, leveling it to the ground, leaving no stone unturned. Amidst the festivities, amidst the marveling of architecture, the promise of a kingdom to come, Jesus' words are grim. Not like this. Not in the way you expect. You expect a political kingdom, a physical temple. No, he says. These things are temporary. And it's going to be a terrible time when it all comes crashing down. And amidst this prediction of the impending doom for Jerusalem, Jesus then transitions into something more distanced. For when we read prophecy, we don't read it as purely sequential, as one happening immediately after another. It'd be like if you were standing looking at a mountain range, and you see one mountain in the fore and one mountain behind, with the others just a little bit taller, but you have no idea how far apart they might be. And so Jesus predicts this immediate prophecy, but he gives us something far more distant to look at. Something we are still waiting for. And in the passage today that Jonathan read for us from the Gospel of Luke, it is about waiting. About waiting for the advent of Christ for his second coming. And it certainly contrasts with his first. For the first time, Jesus made himself known here on earth it was relatively quiet, unassuming. A little baby, born in a stable, placed in a manger in the small, sleepy town of Bethlehem. No grand announcements, no thunders and earthquakes. It was a select announcement. Only a few got to hear that news. Some lowly shepherds were told of the coming Messiah. And for almost 30 years, Christ's advent went unnoticed. Nothing significant really happened until Jesus entered into his earthly ministry. And there's another difference here, too. For where Jesus' first advent, it was relatively localized to Israel. It wasn't widespread. People didn't know about it to the ends of the earth. Only those that were in his immediate context, that walked around him, they were the only ones that could have had the chance to recognize that he had come. But this second advent, this second coming, is going to be far different. It is going to be dramatic. It is going to be large. You will not be able to miss it. It will not happen sleepily in the night. And everyone across the face of the earth Nations will know, all the peoples will know that Christ has come. And Jesus picks up on some very important language that his disciples would have grasped to. He refers to himself in this second advent as the Son of Man. And this Son of Man imagery is popular from the prophet Daniel. 
from Daniel 7, 13 to 14. And it reads, this is a vision that Daniel has. He says, In my vision at night I looked, and before me was one like the Son of Man, coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. For Jesus' second coming, if he is to come like the Son of Man, it is not quiet in the night, born unto the poorest of the poor, announced only to a few. It is dramatic, coming on the clouds. Daniel also speaks of the Son of Man as being one who can approach the Ancient of Days, this being God Almighty, Yahweh, something that no one had been able to do up until this point. For it is in that temple, that place of worship that the disciples marveled that there were chambers. We remember this from Exodus and from the building of Solomon's temple, that each layer, each ring of the temple got more and more restrictive until you reached the Holy of Holies, a thick curtain separating the people from the presence of God, where only once a year the high priest could enter with the blood of a sacrificial lamb or risk being struck dead. The presence of God is something truly terrifying to behold, but this son of man that Daniel anticipates, this person that shares likeness, that shares in our humanity, our everything of our frailty, is able to approach God. And it is because of this position of one who is fully human, and yet in order to approach God is fully divine, is one with God that gives him authority and power, and so he comes on the clouds and everyone recognizes it. And at the end of our Christian scriptures, in the book of Revelation, this is how Jesus first makes himself known to John. For we read in Revelations 1, verse 11. Oh, I'm sorry, just one moment. Verse 17. Or verse 12, sorry. I'm so sorry. All right. I turned around to see a voice that was speaking to me, and I turned and saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as the snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in brilliance. If this individual came into our midst, there is no way we could miss that. And in fact, John gives us the appropriate response. In verse 17, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. This second advent is terrifying. No baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is a man in full power, shining like the sun, a voice like rushing waters. Jesus tells the disciples to anticipate his second coming far differently than his first, ascribing this role of the Son of Man to himself. 
And so now we have a very scary Christmas story. People fainting. The stars, the moon, the sun going out. Anguish in the nations. Anxiety. The coming of the Son of Man. It is in this great moment that this terror should impress the importance of this coming on us. Significant events are here. It is not something to ignore. In fact, it is something so terrible and in that sense awesome that you cannot ignore it. But we must wait and hold that image because this is not the time to run. This is not the time to hide. We are not to escape these dramatic happenings. Our season of anticipation, our season of expectation, Jesus says, should not be filled with fear. It is instead a time to lift up our heads. As the Son of Man comes down in all brilliance and power and authority, we are not to turn away and cower, wishing that the presence of God would be contained in the Holy of Holies behind a thick curtain. No. We are supposed to look up with excitement, with anticipation, to look on the face of this crazy power with hope. For Jesus says, redemption is near. These terrible and dramatic happenings are cause for encouragement. The disciples, in the face of these terrible events that would happen in their lifetime and in expectation of what is to come, are supposed to be filled with hope. But when is Christ coming, we ask? And many, many before us, every generation has a prediction, or two, or three, of when this is going to happen. Everyone looks for it in their lifetime, and everyone interprets the signs to say that the second coming, this advent, is now. They look around, things are terrible, and they say, it must be. Jesus gives us a bit of a hint. He tells this parable of the fig tree. He says, look, you know when it begins to bud that summer is near. Look to the signs. It's coming. But he neglects to tell us exactly when. He gives us a hint, a way to anticipate, but he doesn't give us anything to unlock his actual coming in the date. He tells us that this generation will not pass away until it happens. And we wrestle with the tension of his Christ talking about the disciples present to him. And is he talking then about his second coming, that they will not pass away? Well, time has told us that that is not true. For the disciples, the apostles, the early church, generations have come and gone, and Christ has not yet returned. So it is likely that Jesus is anticipating the fall of Jerusalem for them. And so we continue to wait. We cannot know. And it is because we cannot know and we cannot predict his second coming with any accuracy that we are told to be vigilant. For the people of Israel, they didn't know when their Messiah was coming the first time. They did not know when Jesus would arrive. And so a lot of them missed it. A lot of them were caught off guard. And it's not because the manner of his coming was so obscure. Because John the Baptist, he heralded the way. He anticipated his coming. So that prophet in Malachi, that one is coming out of the desert to prepare the way. They had the key to know that perhaps this was Christ. The healings, the ministry, the teaching. But many still missed it. And why? 
Sure, they were not told exactly when Christ would come again, but they were given the signs to look for, the things to watch. They were told to wait, to expect. And perhaps they were just not watching. Jesus calls his disciples to be vigilant because his second advent will be unexpected, right? Those signs of summer. The kingdom is around us as we speak. As we are here this morning, God's kingdom is making itself known. I would encourage you then to this week to look for those buds, that new life, that new growth, the areas where God's spirit is at work in our society, in our city, in our church. To look at those as signs that Christ is coming. He is breaking through. Summer is near. But we must be careful for those who will mislead us. Because Jesus calls us to look forward with hope, to look for the coming of kingdom. But a lot of us look for these signs of destruction instead. That the worse things get, the closer Christ must come. A lot has been made of this current pandemic. COVID, masks, the vaccines. People are convinced that these are the signs of the time. The masks are the mark of the beast. The vaccine, the same thing. But they're not facing this pandemic with hope. They're facing it with fear. And they're using it to justify their defiance against public health. They're not looking their heads up. They're looking down and around in anger instead of hopeful expectation that Christ is coming. And perhaps they even invent persecution to justify their beliefs, inventing that this pandemic is meant to suppress the church when in fact we are not suppressed by it any different than anyone else's. Or perhaps instead of misreading the times, we are simply distracted, absorbed in the fads and delights of the day. For Jesus says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And this Christmas time is certainly a distracting season. I never get so many emails than I do from Black Friday to Christmas. Deals, deals, deals. Unimaginable things. Everything you could have wanted and more. Even the things you didn't want are 50% off, so you should buy them. Pay attention to parades, to Christmas specials that run all night. You need to shop. You need to visit. There are so many expectations and demands on our time this season more than most. And so we could be distracted. We could miss the buds of the kingdom on that fig tree. We could miss the signs that are pointing us to Christ is coming, and we could be weighed down by these distractions and anxieties. We could lose focus and miss, become caught unawares by Christ's second coming. And if we are unaware, perhaps that is when it becomes terrifying instead of comforting. And so we wrestle with this tension Sometimes we can see the signs clearly. Sometimes we fail to interpret them or we are distracted. And so the call of Jesus is to come together, to encourage each other to watch because we cannot truly know the time or the date. Jesus often speaks of his coming as a thief in the night. A thief is not going to send you a letter in the mail and saying, hey, on December the 16th at 7.30, but you know, maybe one o'clock in the morning, sometime in that range, I'm going to come and break into your house. We would be ready. Instead, Jesus says, 
you do not know, but always be on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that has happened so that you may stand before the Son of Man. So we watch, we wait, we pray for that deliverance from the anxiety and anguish of the times so that we may stand confidently before the Son of Man. From the face of the end, for we are in the end. When that happens, I don't know, but these are certainly the last times that happen before Christ comes. We should be comforted. And why? Because we are a people of hope. Because our hope is in something certain. For just as Christ came the first time, his coming predicted, his second coming will come as well. And we have hope because of what Christ did during his first advent. He taught, he healed, he encouraged, but ultimately he went to the cross. The purpose of his first coming was to amaze and to wow us, but in a way that nobody expected, to lower himself down, to die a common criminal's death for us. For each and every one of us, Christ went to the cross to pay the price for our sins, to make us right with God, to bring us before God Almighty in a way that had never been done before. He came to die for us, but also to be resurrected, to be raised to new life so that we might also be raised to new life with him. And it is this new life that is filled with hope, Christ's first advent was a mission of love, of peace, of joy, of hope, all the things that we will celebrate over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas. Each one of them made all the more real by his death and resurrection for you and for me. And today we get to celebrate that. We get to celebrate the hope that he has imparted in us with the Lord's Supper. Holy Communion, the Eucharist. This table that Christ invites us to, where he nourishes that hope in us. Do this in remembrance of me, he says, until I come again. And so when we come to this table, we come to be reminded of the price of our sins, the depth of God's forgiveness, the new life to which we are raised, but also the hope we live, that Christ will come again. And so, as we read the times, as we go out into this week, as there is anxiety, as there is fear, as there is anguish, let our time at the table today encourage you to face it with your head lifted high, because Christ is coming, and he's almost here. Let us pray. God Almighty, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your great gift of Jesus, God, your Son, in that first advent. That caught so many off guard, not by its unexpected nature, but by just the strangeness of his ministry. Someone who ate with the lowly, 
the poor, the oppressed. Someone who gave up themselves, laid down their lives for those who did not deserve it. Us. Who defeated death and is resurrected and is seated at your right hand, waiting to come again. To save us once and for all from the wages of sin and death. And we thank you that we can look forward to this day in hope because you have called us your own. We thank you that your words will not pass away, though all the things that we have made and all the things of this earth would pass away before it, but not your words and your promises. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hope. Jesus Christ, we thank you for setting a table for us, a table filled with hope. Holy Spirit, thank you for making this hope sealed in our hearts, known to us, and that you may encourage and strengthen us to be people of hope. Amen.